This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger. Welcome to the show. Uh, So let's see, let's take care of the usual um, self-promotion points. So equippingeve.com, equippingeve.org, check out the website, lots of resources there, uh, links to other ministries and websites that you might find useful. Uh, There's Bible study there, um, links to every single podcast um, that has ever aired of Equipping Eve and uh, blog posts as well. So I don't post regularly at the blog, but I think there are some articles there that you might enjoy. At least I hope you will. I hope you'll find them encouraging and edifying. Okay, so that's out of the way. Uh, Social media, if you want to get in touch with me, Twitter, Facebook, Equipping Eve. Plug it in the search bar. It's not too hard to find me. Also, equippingeve at gmail.com. Okay, now you know how to find me. I can't run from anybody. So, as I record this, it is rapidly becoming the end of summer. It actually is the end of summer. It's late August. It's hot. It's buggy. It's humid. You know, if you live somewhere where the humidity stays at a tolerable level for the majority of the year, please let me know where that is because it is not where I am, and I would like to be where the humidity is not. Um, I get that awesome big hair thing happening when the humidity is going, and it's just so oppressive. You can't even breathe. So, But at the same time, God is in charge of the weather, and so who am I to question the creator of the universe and the way that he's decided to design the weather patterns and the climate? I just need to move someplace else. Okay. Anyway, so it's the end of summer. I hope you've had a great summer. I hope you had a little bit of relaxation time, some rest, um, fun with your family or friends, or both, and uh, gearing up for the new year, the new school year, if you have kids or if you're a teacher. If you're a teacher, God bless you. You are awesome. Um, I don't know how you do it, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for you, so um, our prayers are with you as you return to the classroom. For the rest of us, you know, summer doesn't mean anything. It just means it's hot outside when you leave the office. Um, So that's the way it is. That's called being an adult. And speaking of being an adult, we just keep getting older, don't we? It's an amazing thing. No matter how hard we try to stay young, we keep getting older. And eventually, we will reach a point where we are going to die. How's that for a happy thought? But, you know, I, I get it. Most people don't really like to think about death. Some people are afraid of death. Others aren't. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not a very pleasant thing to think about. And I think it's okay to be, even as a Christian, a little bit afraid of death in that we don't know what to expect. I mean, the Bible has given us some insight into eternity, but 
realistically, we do not know what to expect. These people who say they went to heaven didn't actually go to heaven. So whatever they're telling us is bunk. So, you know, it's okay to be a little uncertain. I don't think that makes you less of a Christian or a bad Christian. It makes you a real person. So, but the great thing is we can trust in our Lord that he has promised us an eternal inheritance that we can't even fathom. Um, and of course, we won't experience all of that until the end of the age. But, you know, with each step of our lives, including our death, we move a bit closer to that. So with that, that is a bit what I would like to talk about today. I was um, reading through a magazine. I get this magazine, and I love this magazine, and I'm not sure why it comes to me, but I'm very thankful it does. Um, it's called Proto Magazine, and it's put out by Massachusetts General Hospital. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we don't exactly share the same worldview, uh, but that's okay. Uh, this uh, fits my field quite well, so I find it very interesting. I look forward to receiving it every few months. So I received the spring issue a while back and um, didn't pick it up until recently, actually. And the last article in the magazine really struck me. And I'm actually going to go ahead and read that to you. If I can find the link online, I'll share that with you as well. So it's an article written by Michelle Goodman, and it's titled How to Get Home. I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. Okay, the article reads, The EMTs strapped my husband into the gurney. He didn't look like a man dying of cancer. Tired and heartbroken, yes, but still ruddy and robust. He sat upright, long legs outstretched, beefy hands resting in his lap. I grabbed one of them and squeezed. I'll see you at home, I said. I didn't think I would get to say those words again. The oxygen tube in his nose was a reminder of the absurdly complicated task we had set ourselves, managing his final few weeks in our home rather than at the state-of-the-art oncology ward we had come to know by heart. The ambulance door slammed shut and the vehicle sped off with Greg, sirens blaring. I set out to the hospital pharmacy to load up a shopping cart's worth of supplies and medications, including the Ativan, codeine, morphine, and oxycodone that would help Greg manage the end-of-life pain and anxiety. Don't tell me that dying isn't scary. That was me, not the article. Continuing the article. Two years ago, Greg's cancer was just an ache, something his doctor suspected was a case of kidney stones. That ache turned out to be a renal tumor, which spread to his lungs a year later. A constant assault of targeted and immune therapies had done nothing to stop the cancer. Soon it was also a tumor on his spine, then tumors on his lungs that required an oxygen tank for rapidly escalating breathing trouble. Two days ago, Greg's oncologist had broken the news that death was our next stop. He estimated we had two weeks and gave us the choice of staying in the hospital or moving to a hospice facility. Home was our dream situation, but it wasn't an option. Greg required a high flow of oxygen to breathe, 12 to 14 liters per minute, which couldn't be managed by a home oxygen concentrator. We resigned ourselves to Greg dying at a nearby hospice facility. By 9 a.m., four members of the hospital pulmonology team came by for rounds as they explained how the next two weeks would go. Weakness, drowsiness, withdrawal, coma. I was surprised to see that their eyes were welling up too. So Greg, we understand you'd like very much to go home, one of them said. Greg and I looked at each other in disbelief. The team had a plan, which was apparently a common home hospice hack for getting around the limited oxygen flow of the concentrators. 
they would send us home with two concentrators and link them, allowing for a continuous flow of up to 20 liters per minute. In the bleary hospital morning, it felt like winning the death lottery. Greg's bedside quickly turned into a hospice war room. As the day wore on, a social worker walked us through the physical stages of death, including what to expect in the final days and hours. The medical equipment company called to ask where they should put the hospital bed. A nurse stopped by to give us a crash course in managing high-flow oxygen equipment. Every so often, a doctor would return with an announcement. They'd gotten approval from our insurance company. The three-page list of medicines Greg needed would be ready by the next morning. They'd secured the ambulance to get Greg home. Finally, we were good to go. I arrived home to find our TV room humming with the familiar frenetic energy of men talking late-season college football. Propped up in the hospital bed was Greg, surrounded by his history books and movie collection, with our black Labrador, Josie, at his feet. I squeezed in the bed alongside him. He grinned and kissed my cheek. Hi, honey, he said. I'm home. Yeah, go ahead and take a minute to dry your eyes because that makes me a little bit teary-eyed when I read it, especially when I think of what comes later. It's a sweet story and um, amazing to think that there's more ability for people to be home in their dying days. Um, but the basis of this article is how to get home. It's about going home. And as Christians, our true home is with Christ. It's with our Lord in heaven, isn't it? And so it behooves us to think about the question, are we ready to go home? Do we know how to get home? There have been some shootings recently, unexpected shootings, mass shootings where people did not know that they would be heading for their final destination, whatever that may be. Are we ready? Do we know how to get home? The reality is, even if we know for two years that we're approaching death, if we're fighting a terminal illness, is it ever going to be easy? Will it ever feel like we've had enough time to prepare for our final homegoing? Maybe some of you have known people who have battled cancer or other illnesses. What an amazing trial that God gives to some of us to bring glory to himself and to strengthen our faith. This article, this story, describes the earthly preparations for death, but what about the heavenly ones? We've all experienced death to some degree. Like I said, maybe some of you have known someone who battled a long disease, whether it was a family member or a friend. Maybe you know someone who died quickly and unexpectedly. Either way. It's bad. It's bad to experience. It's bad to be left behind. And either way, we need to know how to get home. At the end of the day, 
even if we know where we will spend eternity, the process of death, it won't be any more pleasant, will it? I mean, that's something I think we need to reconcile as Christians, and this goes back to what I said earlier about being uncertain about death and maybe being a little bit afraid, and I think that's okay. If you have known someone who's gone through an illness like is described in this article where they describe to you the, the stages of death and what is going to happen, that's scary. That's not pleasant. Our fears of the unknown of the unknown will not be completely alleviated just because we do know where our final destination will be. But we can face it with an element of confidence and resting in the comfort of our Savior along the way. Not long after I ran across that article in Proto Magazine, I came across um, an article by John MacArthur entitled, What Will Heaven Be Like? And he kind of begins the article with, you know, a little reflection on all of these people who go to heaven stories, and I think we're all kind of over that material and whatever, we kind of move on. Um, but he says, it is hard for us to imagine a realm wholly devoid of sin and yet filled with pure and endless pleasures. But that is exactly how heaven will be. We will bask in the glory of God, realizing at last our chief end, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 1611, In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Such a thought is unfathomable to our, our finite minds. But scripture repeatedly makes clear that heaven is a realm of unsurpassed joy, unfading glory, undimin undiminished bliss, unlimited delights, and unending pleasures. Nothing about eternal glory can possibly be boring or humdrum. It will be a perfect existence. We will have unbroken fellowship with all heaven's inhabitants. Life there will be devoid of any sorrows, cares, tears, fears, or pain. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isaiah 35.10 God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away from Revelation 21.4. The best of our spiritual experiences here on earth are only small samples of heaven. Our highest spiritual heights, the profoundest of all our joys, and the greatest of our spiritual blessings will be normal in heaven. At best, we are merely tasting the glories of the life to come. When we consider that Christ prayed that all who know him would spend eternity with him in unbroken fellowship in John 17, 24, our hearts should overflow with gratitude and expectation. And I give that a hearty amen. And I agree wholeheartedly with what Pastor MacArthur describes there, because that is what the Bible tells us about our heavenly home. But again, we can't fathom it. Exactly like Pastor MacArthur says, it's unfathomable to us. And so it's out there and we know it to be true and we look forward to it because it sounds amazing to live in a world without sin, but we can't fathom it. We just can't fathom it. And it's the ultimate trust in Christ, isn't it? We trust in him for everything we go through in this life. We, we trust in him for our salvation, which is a miracle wrought by God himself within us. And then we trust in him as we walk through trials, and even when we walk through times of joy, we place our trust in him for all of these things. But that ultimate trust is fully manifest in trusting him for the promises of eternity, isn't it? 
because no one's ever come back and told us, yeah, don't worry, this is the way it is. He was telling the truth. Like, we know he's telling the truth because we're Christians and we believe the Bible and we believe it's true. But do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, we, it's the ultimate trust that like, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be good. This is going to be amazing. You know, and I hear people say, well, I'm not ready for Jesus to come back, or I don't, I'm not ready to die. I want to see my grandchildren and grow up and this and this, and, and I appreciate that and I understand, and I know where that comes from, but it's like we are promised so much more than this life has to offer. Joel Osteen can have his best life now because I'm waiting for the next one. So we have these, this magnificent picture of heaven um, displayed for us in scripture, but still pretty big, right? You know, just the way uh, MacArthur describes it in that article there, um, you know, basking in the glory of God, um, you know, unending joy, glory, bliss, blah, blah, blah. Like, we can't imagine that. Do you remember the uh, song, I don't know if people still sing it, um, that was a CCM song. Um, I can only imagine. Do you remember that song? So I was in college when I first heard this song, and I actually, the first time I sang it um, in a, a youth group at church in college was um, after I returned back to school in January when my grandfather had just died over Christmas break. So, um, it's kind of a, I don't want to call it a cheesy song because it holds a special place in my heart because of that. Um, but, you know, it's it's a CCM song from, I don't know, whenever it was written. You know, it's it's dated itself. But it, it I was choking back tears while I was singing it. And maybe I started to full-on cry. I don't know. I'm not really one to cry in public. <clears throat> you know, but think about the lyrics. You know, I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? And it, it does hit the nail on the head, this song, because we can't imagine we can, we can only begin to imagine is probably the way the song should read, but that would be awkward to sing. And, you know, for me in that moment, I was realizing my grandpa wasn't imagining anymore. I was left behind to imagine what he was experiencing. And, um, you know, maybe the song isn't a great theological treatise, but it brought me an element of comfort in that moment. Um, I think him, I appreciate now, maybe that's um, at least a little more eloquent, um, is Abide With Me. And I think of uh, some of the last lines of that song, you know, Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes, shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life and death, O Lord, abide with me. These are comforting verses and I find myself humming both of them actually from time to time because the thing is you know I can't imagine heaven no matter what scripture tells me about it I can't imagine it so if you can you have a greater imagination than I do so all I can do is turn to the scriptures and trust them regardless of the fact that I can't fully fathom them 
So let's do that, ladies. John 14, 3. Uh, actually, let's start with, uh, let's just start with John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus promises to come for us and to take us to where he is. John 11 describes, just flip it back a page in your Bible, describes the death and resuscitation of Lazarus, or I'll say resurrection of Lazarus because someone will probably send me an email. So, John eleven seventeen. now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary, Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. So you see, there's a promise that we truly don't die. And so we have to know how to get home because that experience of death is um it's, it's moving day, if you will. It's getting a new residence. It's not the end. It's the end of this life. And for the Christian, it's the beginning of a much better existence. And the fact that Christ has been raised tells us that we will rise again in the last day. But we are promised that when we Paul describes, remember, when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. So perhaps our bodies are in the ground or however you have yourself buried, but we will be present with Christ. Remember, he said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. There's no soul sleep. There's no waiting around. We will be with Christ immediately upon our last breath on this earth. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then if you look down to verse 51 of the same chapter, Behold, I tell you a mystery, writes Paul, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. 
when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your stain? The stain of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is swallowed up in victory. The victory is given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how to get home? It's through Jesus Christ through trusting in him, isn't it? Trusting in him, that perfect life that he lived, that we're supposed to live, because we have to keep the law perfectly if we want to work our own way to heaven. But last time I tried to keep the law perfectly, I failed really miserably in the first nanosecond, and so we need a savior. We need someone who was fully man and yet fully God. So that person is Jesus, God incarnate, come to earth, he lived according to the law, never sinned, not once, not in thought, word, or deed. But then he died the death that we deserve. We deserve to hang on the cross. It's a pretty gruesome, awful death, and it's it would be generous for all the sins that we have committed against a holy God. And so Christ bore the, the sin and the penalty of everyone who would ever believe. But the fact that he rose again three days later, that demonstrates the victory over death, doesn't it? God accepted that sacrifice. Jesus lives. We too will live. And as I said, our bodies may stay in the ground for a time until that, re that resurrection on the last day, but we will be with Christ immediately when we die. And I don't know about you, but that's just really, that's where the comfort is. It's not in the streets of gold or, or even in the, you know, unending bliss of heaven. It's in the fact that I get to be with Jesus, my Savior. How do you get to, how do you get home? Do you know how to get home? It is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Turn to Luke 23, ladies. Luke 23. And I just quoted this. Uh, this is Jesus dying on the cross. And one thief says to him, Jesus, in verse 42, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Turn back to Corinthians, but this time to 2 Corinthians 5. This is what I was referencing earlier, verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home, at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That verse is for another day. But when we are away from the body, we are at home with the Lord if we belong to Christ. For the Christian, to leave this life is to go home. And so all of that is incredibly comforting to think about if we are a Christian, even though we can't fathom it. It's still comforting to think about. But we have to remember, so many people are not saved. And, and that reality, sisters, needs to hit us daily because there are neighbors of ours who aren't saved. There are people we interact with on Twitter who aren't saved. There are coworkers. There are friends at school who aren't saved. 
In Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. And Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, verse 28, and he will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. There is a judgment. Those who are not eagerly waiting for him, those who have not been saved, who have not repented and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, they will face a very different judgment. Matthew 10 28 says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? And it's a reality we need to take with us every day out into the world so that we can present Christ and proclaim his gospel to those who are perishing. Matthew 25 Verse 31. I'll give you ladies a moment to get there. Because while I love to look at the comforting verses of the promises of Jesus and the fact that we will be with him forever and the fact that we will truly be at home with the Lord, we cannot forget our friends and family members and our acquaintances and the strangers that we run across in this life who do not have that same promise because they do not know Christ. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. A practical outworking, practical demonstrations of faith in Christ. Regeneration. Verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I mean, listen to that description. Depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't want to go there. And let's be clear, these verses aren't saying that if you do all these charitable things and you're earning your way to heaven. These are demonstrations, practical outworkings, like we said, of, of our faith. When Christ saves us, the Holy Spirit regenerates us, we get a new heart, we get a renewed mind, we get new desires, we become new people. We desire to live lives of holiness and we are not perfect. That's why we long for heaven where we will be perfect and will no longer sin. But we live lives that demonstrate the love of Christ.
and those who have not been saved by Christ, who do not know Jesus, they are not regenerated. They are not living lives of holiness, seeking to glorify Christ in all that they do. And so, as we prepare to go home, as we think about how to get home, you may know the way. God may have been gracious to you to show you the way. Your family may know the way. Your friends may know the way because all your friends are from your church and you're all Christians and that's marvelous and wonderful. But is there somebody in your life who does not know the way home? They don't know how to get home. And their eternal home is right now set to be very different from yours. Find that person and tell them how to get home to be with Christ forever. That's my encouragement to you today, ladies, and my encouragement to myself as well. Always speaking to myself when I speak to you. Okay, ladies, I think that's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. I'd give you a teaser for the next episode, but I don't know what that's going to be yet. So until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening.